Laura. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises, a movie at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. And today we're starting off our inaugural miniseries of the Men in Black franchise, and we're talking about the movie that kicked it off in the summer of 1997, Barry Sonnenfeld's Men in Black. And we have a guest joining us to talk about Ray-Bans, Red Buttons, and Big Bugs is actor and mostly retired podcaster, Zach Luna. Oh, hey, everyone. Thanks for that delightful <laughs> intro. <laughs> <laughs> this is very exciting. Love this movie. Um, here we are. Happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. We're excited to have you at the uh, at the start of this new podcast journey that we're taking. Yeah. So, uh, so Men in Black is, uh, I think it's a franchise that means a lot to all three of us in, in, in a variety of ways. Yeah. Um, I'm really curious. The summer uh, of 97. Yeah. Summer of 97. That was a big summer for me. I remember that summer. <laughs> this was, I feel like this is the movie that gave Will Smith the crown of the king of summer blockbuster. Yeah. For like that stretch, you know, like everyone was talking about how he own july 4th weekend yeah know? yeah i mean to uh to kind of put things in context uh independence day opened during principal photography of men in black whoa mm-hmm. and and there was this because even back then he was still mostly seen as pop culture as like the fresh prince right and the, like there was a, pr- a producer that said like yeah i remember how he came into work and he was like oh my god that really sweet dude that's just nice to everybody on the crew He's the biggest movie star in the world right now. Right. And he's this movie is probably going to make him the biggest movie star in the world again next summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not get too far ahead of yeah. us. And what's crazy, too, is like Independence Day, like he was a big part of that movie. He definitely like stuck out, you mm-hmm. know, in a good way. He like popped. But he's not. Yeah, he's, he's part of an ensemble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like he's not the star of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, It's just he popped. And then this was like his starring blockbuster debut yeah yeah um so yeah what's so you were the uh you were the oldest of not to you know you were you were kind of like in pop culture more yeah because like <laughs> the elder statesman of this podcast because for me honestly he i look at him when i was watching fresh prince when i would see fresh prince of bel-air i'd be like oh this is what will smith did before he was agent j yeah right yeah but you kind of, i think you have like a different perspective probably yeah yeah i mean yeah for me it was you know he was fresh prince he was the guy who did the raps uh on the mtv with the other guy you know and uh uh talking well about- he was the dj and will was the rapper right right, right, right. Album. um and did uh <laughs> yeah and talked about how parents don't understand and etc mm-hmm. etc et but yeah that's that's kind of i knew him as like funny guy from fresh prince you know like i i liked fresh prince a lot and i watched it i think i watched it It was like in my regular rotation of like every week as a kid um watching uh fresh prince of of bel-air and i remember seeing independence day and thinking you know i think it was 11 when that movie came out um seeing independence day and being like oh it's 
it's Fresh Prince, but he's um he's like kind of serious, but like not really. Like it's still him. He's recognizably him, but he's doing he's in a different mode. And it was like I was like trying to wrap my brain around that, right? You know, as like an eleven year old, different visual language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing a TV star go to a movie was like Mm -hmm. a big deal. Um, but I remember back then, like everyone's reaction to him in Independence Day was like, it was like a light switch. I mean, it was like, oh, funny TV guy, click movie Movie star. star. Yeah, it was nuts. Zach, did you see Independence Day in theaters? I did not. No, I was. Me neither. uh, I was too young at the time. I didn't even see Men in Black in theaters. Uh, this -hmm. was a home release VHS. Uh, Although I did still Mm -hmm. see it like immediately, but um, as I've as I mentioned on some of the other podcasts, like a lot of my, uh, all the other dually genre podcasts, I mean, uh, a lot of my pop culture, like diet as, as a young person was curated by my older siblings who were like mm. much older than me. Like my older brother's 20 years older than I am. So he would, he would go see cool movies and then like know whether or not I could handle it. So he saw the movie in the theaters and was like, oh, Zach would love this and got me the VHS for it. Um, but I was like seven when Men in Black came out. So it wasn't like I had been watching Independence Day before that. This was, I think, my first experience with Will Smith, period, maybe. Like, I think mm. Fresh Prince was on now and then. But like you said, Nick, it was more, more a thing where, like, after I saw Men in Black, I wanted to see more Will Smith stuff. And we would go back and be like, oh, wow, this is what he was doing before this when I watched, um, like, reruns of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and stuff like that. Uh, but so, like, when this movie hit... I was yeah, at an impressionable age, like seven years old is when you're like excited about like monsters and big scary stuff, but like you can't really handle horror yet. So this was like a perfect, um, a, a movie that feels like it's just slightly more than you can handle, which is like the kind mm-hmm. of movie you want to be seeing. So I was obsessed with it immediately. Like this was, I, I think I wore out two VHSs of Men in Black uh, over the course of my life because I just would watch it all the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, um, I think this might have come a few years before or after Star Wars. But as a kid, because Star Wars is also like a big thing of my childhood yeah. and, and that I remember. But this is really unique because this felt like mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like Zach said, Star Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Star Wars felt like it was inher- given passed down to me by my brother and my parents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but this came out like i remember the summer that this came out and i remember the toys and yeah. the action figures mm-hmm. and the the song this being like everywhere and like in retrospect what i think i would really really glommed onto is the power that a movie could have like to shape pop culture for a summer mm. and it felt like the culture was like with this movie mm-hmm because like Will Smith had just been like Independence Day where he was like the coolest dude in the world. <laughs> and, and yeah, I also I think I saw this in theaters, but I really remember having like my videotape yeah. that I would would watch again and again. I I remember that's the lead up to that summer. I was so hyped for this movie um, because, you know, I don't think people won't understand this now if you weren't if you weren't you know a a a alive back then or or of of an age that you could understand this but like entertainment tonight was a huge deal in the 90s huge deal it was on every night and they did like little behind the scenes stuff it's how i learned most of my like entertainment news at the time and they were hyping this movie for a full year because it was like Will Smith is the hottest thing in Hollywood right now. 
and he is doing nothing else except he's got Men in Black coming out next year. So we're going to talk about Men in Black every chance yeah. we get. Spielberg's producing it. Yeah. It was Tommy huge. Lee Jones is in it. Yeah, yeah. It was huge. And so I remember it was like it really felt like at least once a month there was a story on on Men in Black and and some sort of behind the scenes thing. And then HBO, I remember, had a, uh, a like a behind the scenes thing because they used to produce those where yeah. they would just like get you hyped for a movie by releasing a behind the scenes special. Um, that's how I got hyped for like the Frighteners because they did a behind the scenes special and it was just all of them talking about how amazing this movie is and the technology and whatever. And they did the same thing with men in black. And I was like, Oh, this looks like my jam. Like I really want to see this. And then I bought the novelization a month before the movie came out and I spoiled the whole movie for me. Uh, was it by but Peter I, David? I know. I don't think it was, <laughs> but I loved every second of it. Like I loved it. I, I, at this time I was living with my dad in Florida but I was I came out to uh, Indiana where my mom lived for the summer because I stayed with her during the summer. And that's when this movie came out. And I told her, I was like, look, I know you don't take me to the movie, the movie theater very much. That's fine. It's OK. But I have to see this movie when it comes out. It's the only one. It's the only one this summer. Wow. Like just but I, I want to see this. And she was like, OK, like I, that'll be the one time we go to the movies. I so I read that novelization. I remember going to my brother's like baseball games and just reading the novelization like in the car in the parking lot of the baseball game you know and i got through that whole thing and i was like this movie is going to be amazing and somehow like the movie you know even surpassed those expectations oh yeah as a 12 year old and i watched this by myself my mom dropped me off <laughs> and i just saw this movie by myself in this theater uh watching this movie that like blew my mind and sure. then i think i so i saw it there I went back home shortly after that mm -hmm. and then watched it again with my dad. Like my dad took me like before it left theater. So I saw it twice in theaters and then I saved up my allowance and bought it on VHS. It was the first VHS I ever bought with my own oh, money wow. and I bought it in widescreen yeah! because I was that kind of nerdy 12 year old. Can you remember how much it was? If you don't mind me asking. I think it was probably like 20, 25 bucks. Okay. Uh, is what I imagine it would be because it was widescreen. So I remember I had to buy it at Blockbuster because it was mm -hmm. the only place you could buy widescreen VHS tapes, that and Suncoast Video. But Suncoast Video would have wanted like $40. Right, yeah, <laughs> sure. Whereas at, at Blockbuster- and you could have had to buy like a Spawn action figure. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, so so I, got, I, got, I bought the widescreen edition nice. of Men in Black on VHS with like the, the holographic cover. Yes! You guys remember that? Yes! Yeah. yeah. And the holographic foil cover, and I watched the shit out of that VHS tape, yeah. yeah. Zach, you, I think you, you, you touched upon something uh, really interesting about how this could be for kids. This was kind of an entry point into things like horror. And this movie is just out of our reach. And I think as a little kid watching it, that was very much part of the mystique of like, this was how I heard a lot of curse words for the first time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the violence in this movie is, it's so extreme that it almost is kind of like the way a child perceives violence where it's not very gory, but it is gruesome. Yeah. There's a lot of goop yeah. involved. Uh, yeah. and, and explosions yeah. <laughs> like... and and yeah so I'm, I'm excited to get into it so we're gonna we're gonna start with i guess the background of mm -hmm. the franchise and uh it actually starts with on the pages of a comic book yeah uh, of course yeah this comic book doesn't exist i'm convinced because <laughs> it, yeah, is, I, it is uh as... it, is, it is complete it is, I, I can't find it anywhere yes yeah so um before i get into it uh the what i'm going to be quoting and using as a reference for a majority of this miniseries 
is a book called Men in Black Films, mm-hmm. uh, written by Lisa Fitzpatrick and Sharon Gosling. And uh, this is a book that covers all four Men in Black movies. It was published in the summer or spring of 2019. Oh, wow. Is that what Men in Black? Yeah. So yeah, in the, in the early 90s, a comic book writer named Lowell Cunningham was sitting outside a porch in Kentucky with his friend Dennis Matheson, who is quoted in this book as an urban folklore enthusiast. Nice. <laughs> and uh, so Lowell and his friend Dennis were sitting on the porch in Kentucky, and they see uh, this nondescript black car driving down this dirt road. And half-jokingly, Dennis is like, oh, you see that? That's the kind of car the men in black drive. And Lowell's like, who are the men in black? And Dennis is like, oh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> the men in black, which is part of this kind of uh, folk iconography, folklore, mythology that was coming out in the 60s mm-hmm. at the time of Roswell and Area 51. The men in black were these government figures that came in suits and wiped it all away mm-hmm. and tucked it all back well, in. Well, and we should also mention that like this, 1997, is the height of pop culture osmosis for Roswell and aliens and government conspiracies and the men in black. Right, and, right. The X-Files shouldn't be yeah, written ex- not right now. You exactly. Know? X-Files was huge. Alien autopsy, huge. Uh, 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 belief, what is, what, factor fiction? The, Beyond, oh, belief. Yeah, yeah, Beyond, Beyond belief, belief, factor fiction. Yeah. So uh, weird. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All of that stuff was in, like, the everywhere in the, yeah. in the zeitgeist of the 90s. Yeah. You can kind of track where we were in the 90s with our institutions mm-hmm. where we were aware and there was a cynicism to it but we did ultimately believe that these were taking care of us mm-hmm. and there's a there's a comfort to the men in black mm-hmm. of yes they are in control and yes we're just sheep but like they have it all <laughs> they have it all figured out <laughs> right yeah yeah i actually i w- i would i would almost say i wonder if the thing that triggers this pop culture focus on conspiracies and aliens and all of this actually weirdly goes back to JFK. Sure. The, the, oh, the Oliver movie? Stone movie. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Oliver Stone movie. Like when I think that movie coming out in 91, 90, 91, 90 yeah, yeah. something, something in that. Um, yeah. I think that comes out and it starts getting people talking about conspiracies. And when you start talking about government cover up and conspiracies, you're always going to inevitably end up at Area yeah. 51. You know who's a conspiracy theorist? Uh, Randy Quaid's character in Independence Day. Well, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, Because he was he was abducted and probed. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So. Because uh, it wasn't a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of. It really so, happened to him. So Lowell Cunningham takes that idea of the men in black, uh, writes a comic book, pitches it to Malibu Comics, mm-hmm. uh, which would later on be bought by Marvel, which is why in the movie, uh, Men in Black is credited as based on a Marvel comic, right? Uh, but back then it was just Malibu Comics, and um, it was it was brought to a guy named Tim Mason uh, as a pitch list, as just something he got every week. And uh, when he when he got the pitch for Men in Black, he said first of all he thought it had a great title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a superhero book. It wasn't a barbarian book, which is mostly what they were getting out of the time. So he takes the pitch to the rest of the guys at Malibu Comics, and he says, I think we can get three issues out of this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the time, uh, Malibu, Malibu... If only this whole film franchise had listened to that guy. <laughs> uh, at the time, Malibu Comics was releasing these creator-owned titles with the promise of being, on average, three to six issues. Yeah. And so wow. a three-issue a three run was a totally respectable run for 
an operation like Malibu Comics. Back then, <laughs> yeah, right? like a 90 minute movie. Like, yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, Men in Black comes out. It is, uh, should we say, non comedic in tone, the comics. But they were they were successful. They uh, and then uh, they're very they're very uh, kind of badass looking, like badass nineties yes. like cable. Yeah, cable. Mm. Yeah, big guns, which is why they have the big guns. But man, they adapted them so well in this movie because yeah. because they are big, ridiculous looking guns. But because they're alien technology, like it doesn't bother me. They don't look yeah. like Rob Liefeld <laughs> guns. You know, Plus, yeah. They put, they put a little bit of like a. Uh, Oh, I don't know what to call this uh, this design aesthetic, uh, but they, you know, they made it a little ray gun uh, yeah, Roswell-y. Yeah. Like, it's not totally, like... Retro future, kind of. Yeah, it's not yeah. a cool future. It's, like, slightly retro, like, yeah. shiny chrome. And that's, yeah, uh, and that's all very deliberate. Uh, Doug Harlocker was the prop master for Men in Black. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he uh, a, lot, a lot of the material that the guns are made out of uh, is aluminum based. They what what he did was they drove out to aerospace salvage yards in Los Angeles, and they would just buy raw material, and they would just lay out hundreds of feet of just this material. And Doug Harlocker and his team had the time, and were given the space to just like okay, what they were they they were casting and creating quote hero guns. Mm-hmm. Like this is the one that Agent J is going to hold. This is the one that Agent K is going to hold. And they would like, okay, what if it has a bulb, or what if it looked like this? And they were able to create these kind of shapes. That, like like Zach said, hit the nail on the head. Very retro sixties, yeah, but still big and uh, big, big cool guns. The importance of that cannot be overstated in the history of this franchise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Malibu is uh, repped by ICM mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Irene Webb. The literary agent for ICM is sent these little packages, baskets of different comic books every week with the opportunity to maybe adapt one of them. And one of those books and one of those baskets, one of those weeks is Men in Black. So Irene Webb picks up this comic and goes, holy shit, my three-year-old son Nick would love this. (laughs) (laughs) Gives it to Nick. Nick confirms like, yeah, this is awesome. This is it, Men in Black. This is the bee's knees. Was this you? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was me. It was, I'm that, my name, real name is Nick Webb. <laughs> and uh, at the premiere of the movie, like five years later, Walter Parks uh, found now like 11-year-old Nick Webb. And he was like, this is all because of you. You did this. Wow. Just like uh, Michael Eisner's son uh, being responsible for like everything that happened to, to Disney parks in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> It's just because he wanted to do stuff that his son would think was cool because he wanted his son's wanted his son's desperately wanted his son's respect. So Irene (laughs) Webb then sends Men in Black to Walter Parks and Laurie McDonald, then at Columbia. Mm -hmm. Laurie McDonald was a VP at Columbia. Walter Parks was a screenwriter of films like War Games and Sneakers. Mm -hmm. uh, Produced Project X, the Matthew Broderick movie. And uh, Parks and McDonald were a husband-wife producing team. They're working at Columbia. Uh, Walter Parks gets a hold of Men in Black and says, I love the title. I love the suits. I love the big guns. Well, there it is. I mean, that's, that's, what that else was, do you need? <laughs> everything else, let's go ahead and jettison. Everything else? Uh, yeah. Yes. That's fun so yeah. they were like, they worked out. What they really enjoyed about it was the the juxtaposition of big crazy aliens and dry by the book government people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they said that is inherently comedic to us. We think this should be comedic in tone. Mm -hmm. Let's get Ed Solomon to write this. And best decision they ever made. Oh my God. Uh, Enter Ed Solomon, writer of uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Mm -hmm. 
uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, mm-hmm. among other stuff. Yeah. And what followed was months of story sessions between Parks, McDonald, and Ed Solomon, where they would hash out this very specific tone <laughs> that this first movie has, uh, where Ed would go off and write, come back, give it to Parks and McDonald, and then they would beat it around for notes. And this uh, this went on up until 1996 when they started shooting. But as we'll get into, stuff was changing up until shooting the movie mm-hmm. and one or two serious cases. So then what happens is, and we're, we're nearing the end of the, the preamble. Mm-hmm. You're doing uh, great. I love it. <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall leave Amblin. We can get into why maybe in another episode about another <laughs> franchise. Steven Spielberg says, I need another team to head Amblin. Get me Parks and McDonald. Walter Parks and Lauren McDonald are now running and co-running Amblin. And the first one of the first thing they do is they come to Steve and they go, hey, we have this idea called Men in Black. And Men in, uh, Stephen reads the draft that Ed Solomon and have been working on and says, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the last piece of the puzzle, uh, the last major piece of the puzzle was Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh, they they decided to bring him on. Uh, they liked his deadpan style, his deadpan comedy. A mm-hmm. uh, big re- a big reason for him getting this job was uh, Get Shorty, which had just come out. Which is oh, this uh, pr- makes okay. Sense. For some reason, in my memory, my memory palace, I think <laughs> of I think of, uh, I think of Get Shorty being Postman in Black. That's yeah. that's okay. It, very interesting. So it goes it goes Adam's family, Adam's family values. Get Shorty, Men in Black. Yes. Okay. Wow. And then even his his work as a DP with the Cohen brothers. Right. Right. Well, yeah. Of course. But as a director, as a director for sure. Yeah. That's, and okay. And something that Walter Parks said uh, a, a big part of why this ended up being such a good team is the the Parks McDonald team is big on these big story sessions and meticulously plotting things and making sure that everything is super well designed. Whereas Barry Sonnenfeld has a very spontaneous shooting style. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that counterbalance ended up working really well. And kind of the f- theme that I found while looking at... You mean they didn't just fire him and replace him with an a-, a director that they like working with? <laughs> <laughs> That's what they do today. At least for one. And the major theme that I picked up when learning about this movie that I found so cool is this is a story about different filmmakers and artists building off the work of one another. And using the other person's work as a gift mm-hmm. and something to highlight and flatter and cultivate and build on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't wait to talk about Bo Welch, the production designer. I can't wait to talk about, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, there's such an example of people working off of each other. Uh, digital effects working against practical effects. Can't yeah. talk about ILM and Rick Baker. Yeah. Uh, but I think the reason this movie touched all three of us on our imaginations, knowing what I know about all three of us, there's a lot of like earnest collaboration and wanting to make a fun ride and not sacrificing intelligence for entertainment or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And when I think about back to the future, when I think about the, the, the Spider-Man trilogy, this in particular, this first men in black movie feels like a real kindred spirit to those movies, those franchises. Yeah. Especially considering and watching it again confirmed it. I think that this might be one of those rare perfect movies. Like this is like a perfect 10 out of 10 flawless movie in the way that Back to the Future is where it's not complicated, but everything that it does is running so perfectly. You know, everything sets up something else like it's, it's, a, it's a Swiss watch 
this yeah. movie. Um, the same cannot be said about any of the sequels, but this movie <laughs> is a Swiss watch in the same way that Back to the Future is. Something else they have in common is there's something very by the books about both of them. They're not very big epic stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. Right. Like, Even though they contain deal- incredible, like huge things, like <laughs> right. you know, time and contact, space, being- yeah, time and space, and us, us being marbles in other galaxies and stuff like that. But the <laughs> focus of the story is humans. Well, not all humans, but like people interacting with people in a a, a very easily graspable scenario, and mm-hmm. not sky beams. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with with Solomon's script and kind of what. <laughs> The, what Parks and McDonald and Solomon found interesting about this universe, which was people treating this like it's just a, a day on the job and mm-hmm. taking these tropes that we've seen in cop movies and cop shows like Law and Order that was really popular in the 90s, like shaking down a suspect or doing a stakeout, but tilting it a little bit and making it about aliens yep. and just committing to that game and finding all the different ways to explore that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I I really respect the way that they built the script because I mean, this script is as we'll go into it. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna start. We're gonna start breaking this movie down, and like, yeah. this script is nuts. Like, it is, it is, it's just. I mean, how quickly things get get moving, but they don't feel like they're moving fast. It's just perfect, mm-hmm. yeah. and everything is set up and paid off, and 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 it's just oh. Well, well, just, just what starting, a great what a script <laughs> well starting <laughs> off with the first scene i really like how we learn who the men in black are by watching them just do their jobs yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and not like a long preamble or prologue yeah absolutely but then but then on top of that you have the opening line which is goddamn bugs which sets up the whole freaking movie right <laughs> it's a bug getting squashed on a windshield which yeah. is already like a visual thing that like like Jay is going to need to use at the very end to save the day. Yep. Just the and, imagery of squashing a bug. Yeah. That's and amazing. it's also like for a movie that ends with finding out that the, our universe is just on a marble. Yeah. It, it kind of just speaks to the kind of grimly funny nihilism that this movie kind of has. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I love that the movie s- introduces us to an organization in charge of policing intergalactic aliens with a guy trying to get illegal aliens from Mexico across the border. Like, right, I, right. like I, I, I love that. Like, and then the fact that there's like, Oh, you guys don't even know what illegal aliens are. There's a real illegal alien in this group. You shouldn't even be worried about them. You should be worried about yeah. Mikey. And that was something I really appreciated about Tommy Lee Jones's performance in those opening minutes. Yeah. You could hear, hear his contempt for the police officers. The border patrol agents, yeah. The border patrol Wait. agents, yeah. Very, Whoa. yeah. Very good distinction. Of like, you guys think that this is what you're doing? Yeah, go, go, have fun with your little, <laughs> right? You know, you idiots. Yeah, I, I really like how it starts with the border patrol agents kind of dehumanizing the immigrants, mm-hmm. and then showing how the men in black come in, and just seeing just how like the layers add up. It's so like the relief when uh, Tommy Lee Jones shows up with that like casual fluency in Spanish. And like asking people how they are and reassuring them, yeah. There, I don't, there's something wholesome about it. Like, there are a lot of ways you could start off a movie about like shadowy government agents that are not going to endear me to them off the bat. Mm-hmm. But this, immediately, I'm on its side. And I, I, a thing that struck me as I was watching this a lot was the way that like Sonnenfeld loves to use a shot to be more than one shot, which is like 
instead of like shooting a separate insert, he'll often just like tilt down from whatever's happening and move mm-hmm. in on a thing to do an insert or mm-hmm. to like show a character uh, arriving or leaving a scene. He'll often just have the real actor driving a car into frame or out of frame. And yeah. the hero shot of Tommy Lee Jones when he shows up is just we're like from from moment go on the right foot here because he drives in, hits his mark, opens the door in as the camera does a push in on him and comes up to his face. And he's just like, we'll take it from here. And I'm like, yes, I love this. This is mm-hmm. heroic in every all of the all of the aspects of filmmaking where, whereby you can show something as being cool in a like <laughs> run and gun way are just making him look as cool as possible. Yeah, I really liked how kind of going back to the way he was speaking to the to the to the immigrants his the way he knows mikey and is just talking to mikey like he knows his counts he's like i know your deal he's like he knows him he's not just like a number yeah, yeah. he knows him by name i i also love the reveal of mikey because you think like oh it's a it's an alien in a in a suit right and uh-huh. then the reveal is that no, he's just a, a slightly smaller alien under a blanket holding a <laughs> stick with a head on it, you know. And it's just like it—it's so, it feels so lived in in a way and like unexpected from a design standpoint, from a creature standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just goes to show you, like, I don't know whose decision that particular decision was, whether that was Rick Baker or ILM or you know some combination of them and Sonnenfeld, but like it's it's. It's such a a smart, surprising decision, you know, to do that because you think you have it figured out, and then you just you don't. They 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 throw you a curveball, and yeah, so sleight of hand, like yeah, and it helps sell. Like I mean, you can tell watching this movie when the CGI is a bit dated. There's not a lot of it in it in there, right? Um, but you know, Mikey, they switch back and forth between a full CGI creature and the practical one. Mm-hmm. And what I love about the reveal is that. The head was practical in the shot where they reveal the CGI mic. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I'm still looking at a real head when the thing drops away and you reveal the alien underneath. So mm-hmm. my brain hasn't caught up yet when we cut from that to the practical one. So it's almost yeah. like I never fully see the CGI one at first. Yeah. I'm and that's that, at that real head. And that's a trick that works throughout the film. Uh, Mikey's lead designer was Carlos Huentes, mm-hmm. uh, lead designer who then worked under Rick Baker. Uh, in the script, Ed Solomon describes Mikey as a quote, gigantic space Mexican. So building <laughs> on, <laughs> so building off of that, Carlos Huentes created this kind of big, ferocious kind of lizardy creature. And Rick Baker's main note was to make Mikey more frog-like. Oh, okay. Which kind of yeah. led to, and yes, uh, Zach hit the nail on the head. Uh, uh, Mikey is a 100% practical effect until the moment where he uh, goes berserk and charges at the Border Patrol agent. Yeah. That's like the moment that it switches from a practical effect to computer effect. Oh, that's wow. gorgeous. The bit where his eye flips around backwards. Yeah. Spot <laughs> yeah. The other, ah, oh. Like okay. I have to, I think about like how many people had to like, custom design how many little mechanisms to make that moment happen mm-hmm. but they had the runway to, to do it and it's delightful it's so much cooler than if i saw a like bird's eye you know terminator eye effect of like him looking backwards or something. <laughs> it's, you just yeah. thought, oh, i saw his eye flip around oh my god yeah uh one thing real quick i just want to say about tommy lee jones in this movie he was fresh off of an oscar win for the fugitive mm-hmm. uh the previous year best supporting actor nice uh Early on upon filming, and this was his first day of filming, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld had to repeatedly take him aside and say, Les, you're government issued. 
don't react. This is another day on the job. And he was worried about Tommy Lee Jones was insecure about not being funny mm-hmm. uh, to the point where uh, his agent had to call Barry Sonnenfeld one night and said, hey, Tommy's really worried that you're not letting him be. He's worried about not being as funny as well. And Barry Sonnenfeld was like, I promise you, he will be funnier than Will. <laughs> yeah. If he just like, trust me. Yeah. And eventually yeah. he did. And yeah, he's, he's, he freaking owns this movie. Well, and, and the thing that gave him that anxiety, of course, was being uh, Two-Face in in Batman Forever oh, opposite Jim Carrey. Who, <laughs> the silliest man who ever lived. And, and it was, I mean, you know, those two working with each other was a nightmare because, you know, Jim Carrey was at the height of his popularity in 1995 after n- that 1994. That was yeah. like Dumb and Dumber, The Mask, Ace Ventura, all in one year. Um, all within like a few months of each other, just a bananas year. And he went from a guy who was making, you know, 500 grand on a movie by starring in a movie to $20 million, you know, for like Batman forever over the course of just like four movies or something like that. And so he's in, he's got a huge head. Here's Tommy Lee Jones, who's a great actor coming in, trying to do his best. And he just keeps having to like race Jim Carrey to the top. And I think that he really like it, it like gave him anxiety about like being funny and and a comedian and a co- what is comedic acting? What what even is acting anymore? You know, and like, you know, he I think he got the Oscar win for The Fugitive, which is great. And then you go into this. And yeah, I totally understand him being like really worried and freaked out, you know, yeah, that he's not doing enough because he's used to having to do comedy opposite Jim Carrey. <laughs> and one thing that I think. Uh, what he brings to this as well as being dry is there's a warmth and a sadness to his performance mm-hmm. that I think like Zach said, I feel like you don't, he doesn't need to say anything. He doesn't need to say like, I'm thinking about quitting. But if you do loop the movie back again, he's kind of wearing it on his face, the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, this movie, the cold open ends with him, not cold open, but it ends with him neuralizing his partner. D D. Yeah. Who very he seems like D seems like he was a good solid agent like K and of his own volition is like I need to step back because it's not about I'm not serving the people anymore and one of the starter pack I think D yeah yeah one of one of yeah. the, one of the guys from the from the you know first contact story mm-hmm. that he tells later on uh, something I never realized until reading this book is the reason K is there that fateful night when we make first contact is he was on his way to uh, go on a date with the his his uh, wife and. Uh, the scene where Wilson was like, oh, you gave that tall man some flowers. Those flowers were for his date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Oh, heartbreaking, but so well constructed. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love this opening of, of Dean not being able to fire that gun in time and, uh, and, and realizing that it's time to go. I do find it interesting that the Men in Black as a organization appears to just decide on the spot it's time for me to retire neuralize me and then they're just gone um in the same way that the men in black leave society they re-enter it in the same yeah. fashion there doesn't appear to be any kind of counsel in the men in black no. other than zed yeah. yeah yeah and then later emma thompson yeah, yeah yeah there doesn't seem to be ever like a council or an oversight committee which actually kind of fits with this I don't know the philosophy of this. Who company. is it in the third one in the flashbacks in the sixties era stuff? Who's I don't the Zed? The third one. Uh, oh man, I don't remember. It was a woman, wasn't it? It was besides Emma Thompson. 
Oh, I thought was was Emma Thompson. Who's, who's oh, Emma new? Thompson replaces Rip Torn. I don't know who it was in the sixties. Yeah, I don't remember. Okay, I guess anyway. we'll find out. We'll, as we we'll find out, and you you guys will know that we know in you know two weeks from now. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so 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 D retires, uh, gets dropped, neuralized, done. We don't know what happens to him after being neuralized. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get the introduction of Jay and uh, James Edwards. James Ed, 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 Ed is it just James Edwards? He's got a middle name. Daryl? James Daryl Edwards? Yeah. Daryl Edwards, I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. It's just, um, I'm thinking of uh, Jeebs calls him uh, Officer Eduardo or something like that, he says. <laughs> yeah. He's being a little Weisenheimer. Yeah, yeah, I think he was. Um, so, so we meet James as this NYPD cop who is just like going hard for this dude. Um, yeah. And gun for him. Foot yeah. chase, baby. Yeah, and the thing that I love about this scene is it's, it's doing that Pixar thing where we don't care if he succeeds as long as we see him like trying and they just throw every obstacle. Like it's so well constructed from a character standpoint because it's like, here's an obstacle. How's he going to, how's he going to do this? Is uh, like, he just jumped off the bridge. What's he going to do? Oh, he's going to jump on this tourist thing. Move on. Oh, he's the bridge he's, is the, like the, the place opening. is locked. Like that's yeah. how cool this guy is. Like the first thing that happens in the foot chase is the jumping off the bridge. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's so good. He's he, yeah. you know how am I going to get through this locked door? I'm just going to shoot my way in. I get, it's more important that I get up there. I'll I'll it's it's deal 90s with the in the best later. way. Yeah. It's Will Smith in the best way. Him it's, having to run up the whole yeah. thing, you know, and like yeah, yeah. Uh, NYPD meaning I will knock your punk ass down. Yeah, <laughs> what a line. Yeah, <laughs> so like good. he. I'm part of it too. Is the uh, the like veracity of what we're seeing that it, it almost feels Jackie Chan esque to me at times yeah. because yeah. we see Will Smith doing it. Like it's not, I mean, there's plenty of shots in this that have to involve, you know, stunt pe- people and, and whatnot, but there's mm-hmm. moments in this, like, I mean, simple things like seeing him react and then run to, to grab on the back, to do a back to the future type thing, grab on the back of another truck to carry him faster where we watch in one shot Will Smith be in a close-up to the camera, run away from the camera, and hop onto a moving car, and it's Will Smith the whole time. So that when the crazier things happen, I still buy that it's Will Smith. And that yeah. immediate connection with the character where, like, I can tell it's them doing the thing. The lead actor is actually the person doing it. I'm in his corner immediately. Yeah, it's a very, you're right, it's a very uh, endearing perform endearance through physicality. Yeah, of just watching this dude because he gets knocked around a lot in this movie. He does, and he it's does. like you know, for whatever we think of, uh, you know, big shot actors being you know, coddled children who are paid a lot of money to pay pretend to play pretend. If I watch this dude sprint full out and catch <laughs> a moving, I like I have to respect him a little bit, right? Like yeah. I can't, I can't sit back in my preconceived notion of like what a movie star person is yeah now i buy him as this character even but, though he's the biggest movie star in the world yeah. very similar to jackie chan where i think we generations of of film fans respect him because you're like that dude tries that dude yeah. puts his body to the limit mm-hmm. and i can see it it's it's right there on screen yeah. you know who appreciated it was uh it was k yeah oh yeah Yep. Well, um, so he sees he sees the perp commit suicide and jump off of a building. Yeah, yeah. So, so I I was gonna say the thing that that kills me about this scene, I think now that I've never really it's never really like clocked with me when I was a when I was a kid was that the thing that this guy this guy is running like a maniac through town, this alien, and the thing that he's trying to do is just commit suicide. He just <laughs> desperately wants to kill himself, and that's what he's running to. Like he's running to find a place to kill himself. Like that's. 
That's it. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. And that kills me. I don't know. There's something about that. <laughs> it's that not I think high enough. Funny. Yeah. Because yeah. like from story terms, right? Like he, his job was to probably assassinate uh, the Archelian prince, right? right. And, and get the, at it. Yeah. And get the galaxy. And get the galaxy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I'm just putting that together now. I've seen this movie like a thousand times. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And it's like, and you and you jettison that from your brain. Well, and like you just you take because you... you take a lot for granted when you're a kid when oh, you're yeah. watching a thing. You just accept a movie as it is as it's, it's just coming like, into your brain. Weird stuff is happening, and I got to catch up to it. Like, <laughs> yeah. all right. you're like your brain's like, oh yeah, a cop chasing bad guy. Yeah. It's like when all those people realized that Joe Pesci was the cop at the beginning of Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. And they're like. He was it. He was. What? He's the burglar. Like that was the whole. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember when they like push in on his gold tooth? Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. But you don't understand a lot of like setup payoff stuff. Oh like, well. You if you know? want to talk about that, uh, uh, Meryl Weaver showing up while Daryl's getting processed back downtown. Oh you yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You were yeah. Like, yeah. Like, oh yeah. They, this is the first time they meet. The first yeah. time we see her. Yeah. And he, that's why he's like, oh, you seem familiar or whatever later on. Because she comes in because she has had to examine the body of the the suicide victim mm-hmm. and weird stuff was there and she wanted to tell him about it immediately and just like mm-hmm. on her way out is the introduction of Tommy Lee Jones as he neuralizes her in the hallway oh man and so what's we- so great about that moment is it's already giving the audience so much like you know what this means yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You, you're already letting you like see it through a glass and the audience like oh she got her memory it's like so cool right right um so so uh that she is played by uh Linda Fiorentino um and uh linda fiorentino who was mostly known at this point for doing like thrillers like sexy thrillers like that was kind of her thing um she had a big breakout role in after hours uh where she played kiki um the kooky artist and uh and then you know moved on and did a lot of like sexy thrillers like that was kind of her deal because a lot of sexy thrillers in the early 90s that was a that was a a thing um (laughs) and then uh and then she ends up um here in in men in black which is probably her biggest movie uh two years after this she does dogma and then her her career is uh is uh subsequently ruined by the weinsteins uh forever um she's one of she's on she's on that list the list of actresses whose career was uh completely destroyed by the Weinsteins and uh, every horrible thing that they did. Um, she's so but, good in this. She's yeah, like, she's great in this. She's so good in this. But it's the reason that she doesn't come back in the sequel is because of the Weinsteins, unfortunately. Ridiculous. Um, but uh, she is so good in this. And her first scene is so... Indi- of a, it, It's kind of what she does the rest of the movie, which is she's like one step ahead of you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So one scene that we did skip over that's between the interrogation scene and and the 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 rooftop suicide is the introduction introduction of Vincent Tanafrio in the greatest oh performance God. in hall in, in 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 film history um <laughs> which is the edgar suit yeah. uh oh, <laughs> and you know what zach said earlier about using a shot using one shot to tell a story yeah you i remember the wide shot of you just yeah. see the UFO getting bigger and bigger and bigger as Edgar's eating matter and matter. And then my goddamn truck. Boom. Yeah. <gasps> Such yeah. a great moment. It's perfectly timed. It's just it's 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 so funny. Good. Yeah. And it's funny because D'Onofrio is so good. Like that bit where he was like, he was just like, God, what what the hell is this? It looks like poison. Don't take that away. I'm eating that. It probably <laughs> is poison, isn't it? Like, it's so good. <laughs> Um, it's so good. Uh, yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio. Amazing. He's good 
even as this character, the real Edgar. Yes, because he has to differentiate him, obviously. Yeah. Um, and there's only, what, like 30 seconds of screen time of real Edgar, but he's right. already so specific with yeah. his pissed off Real, real Biff Tannen energy. Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> like backwoods Biff Tannen. Yeah, backwoods Biff Tannen. And yeah, it, it's he like- opens a, the door and goes, figures. Like, <laughs> come on. It's the pinnacle of- per- it's a real a, a testament to what you can achieve in big movies like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I think it's something the franchise chases for the rest of its life mm-hmm. of trying to make these big <sighs> character villains mm-hmm. and it tries varying degrees of success. But yeah, like this is such an incredibly high benchmark of, I don't know, like there's that thing that kids are saying now where like nobody, D'Onofrio really understood the assignment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think, I don't think anyone, anyone, knew just how good that performance was even while it was happening yeah there was i was reading an interview with uh, vincent d'onofrio and barry sonnenfeld where uh, when he tried it out on the first day like the first take that they did <laughs> there was like a bit where barry was like so, so that's what you're gonna do huh and he's like yeah this is what i came up with and and what he said to vincent d'onofrio was either this is gonna be the greatest thing ever or this won't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, but we're we got to trust each other here. We're in uncharted territory because it is so, it is so out there, but it's so specific and um, kind of amazingly. What what fascinated me about that interview I read between the two of them was that they both talked about that performance as small, which mm-hmm. feels crazy when you think about like the weird voice and the like huge gesticulations and like how big his, how big he goes when he's screaming. But what I love about their framing of it is that I think what they mean by that is that it's not cartoony. It's not right of a, of a separate reality from the rest of the, of the thing. It is all lasered in on like his actual experiences. And the thing that like D'Onofrio said, it's so specific. Oh, it's so specific that early on, the thing that helped him the most was when he met Rick Baker and got to see early, because um, he said on the page there's very little. There's a guy and then he's a cockroach at the end and everything else is up to me. And when he saw the like uh, concept art that Rick Baker was showing him about what the final form of the bug might look like, the thing that struck him then at that moment was, okay, this giant thing is folded up inside little guy. Yeah, little Ed, Ed, what feels like super small. So the entire time, he is just going to be as frustrated as you would have to be if you were folded up inside something that didn't fit. <laughs> if your right. skin didn't fit, if you if your joints didn't fit right, if you were more restricted than you felt like you should be. So when he is doing, you know, these big weird jerky movements, he's not doing a big weird jerky movement because this will be funny when I do this thing with my arm. He's doing it because he's trying to get you know out. Yeah, of, of yeah. this frustrating scenario, and all of that is just so beautiful. Yeah, it feels I, like it has I'm intention behind it, it and not just like quirk for quirk's sake. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also need to give a special shout out to the MVP of the movie, um, who uh, the low key MVP of the movie. Yeah. Uh, who is uh, is it? Shobin Sh- Sh- Fallon Hogan. Shaban. Shaban. Shaban Fallon Hogan, who oh plays God. Beatrice. One of the funniest comedic performances I have ever seen. I mean, it is. <laughs> Edgar. <laughs> another, uh, another character that is, you could call small while being incredibly stylized and memorable. Yes. 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 Specific. Specific. That, 
She still if feels you, like a person. If you are specific to the reality, big weird things can happen without them feeling fake. And that's that's the whole movie right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. She's all, so funny. It all feels very real. <laughs> I remember last year I was at a on a double date at a trivia night at a bar. And uh, Men in Black was on the TVs, you know, that are just kind of peppered throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just a bar full of millennials just stopped what they were doing whenever it was playing Men in Black. And whenever <sighs> D'Onofrio was on the screen, everyone just kind of like, oh, shh. I do think a lot of people our age, it really is like a special kind of really memorable film performance. That's yeah. amazing to watch just to see people. I think about this movie in terms of like inspiring me to become an actor as much as any like, you know, Shakespeare performance I saw or something like that, because you have, oh, yeah. I mean, you, you have like every type of acting uh, being like laser focused on delivering this super uh, entertaining story. And that like you can have you have just like big megawatt charisma star power actor um, Will Smith uh, doing the best version of megawatt charisma star power acting. Mm-hmm. You have Tommy Lee Jones doing like the best version of like ultra precise, super, you know, uh, grounded, low key, grounded yeah. acting. And you have Vincent D'Onofrio doing like the weirdest werewolfing anybody can do. <laughs> and it's just like, well, it's the whole gamut right there. Like you can yeah. just watch, you can just pick somebody different to watch in this movie each time and just be inspired. As yeah, an you're, you're right. And I really admire how all three of those performances blend together while not diluting each other. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool. Yeah. And apparently the role was offered to John Turturro and Bruce Campbell, but they both turned it down. Wow. Oh, because of the wow. uh, scheduling conflicts. Uh, do you guys want to hear some uh, some stuff about uh, what led to Will Smith being cast as? Of course, as yeah. Edwards? We're so, here to learn about the franchise. <laughs> so uh, Chris O'Donnell was Steven Spielberg's choice for Agent J, mm. uh, but Chris O'Donnell turned it down because he had just played Robin and didn't ah. want to be another kid having to learn the ropes of a big crazy world. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. glad he made that decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Schwimmer also turned it down for some reason. Someone offered it to David Schwimmer. Uh, <laughs> some intern somewhere. Harry <laughs> yeah. uh, Sonnenfeld's uh, wife uh, had the idea of casting Will Smith, and uh, so what they did was uh, Spielberg was skeptical, so they had Will Smith meet with Steven Spielberg, which is uh, the one thing you don't want to do. You don't want to get <laughs> within physical vicinity of the will smith charm <laughs> it was instantaneous yeah the, the role was his yeah perfect yeah yeah that's fair that's fair that makes sense yeah i mean it's 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 great was was tommy lee jones always the guy i don't I, I don't remember i didn't read any there's no record of anyone else being like offered the part seriously okay like he's the okay. guy yeah yeah that's yeah. good that's good because you could see somebody like clint eastwood sure. being like being like a thought you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Yeah, this would unfortunately never nailed comedy the way that I think no. Tommy Lee Jones does. I yeah. can in my brain see the Chris O'Donnell Clint Eastwood version of this movie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hey, Junior! Wow, the white bread men in black. Who would who would have directed that version? Oh, um, Ronnie Harlan. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Um, so then, so after after K meets Jay. In the interrogation room, which, by the way, kind of bullshit that his uh, his coworkers are interrogating someone who works with them. Yeah, um, like a fellow officer. Look bad. God, 
that sucks. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, no, yeah. it's like a hot fuzz thing. Uh, one of my favorite little moments that I, I, I really loved revisiting this is when uh, Kay, like, oh, I did all your paperwork for you. And the captain appears in the doorway, like, excited. Like, good work, Edwards. Yeah. And as a kid, I was like, what was in that paperwork? <laughs> oh, to, to me, I think he neuralized him and said, he, he did his paperwork <laughs> okay. and it looks great. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's what I imagined happened. It was like as soon as they left the room, they got neuralized, but we only saw Linda Fiorentino get neuralized. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's another one of those, like, doing lots of things in one shot things that, Mm -hmm. like, feels kind of Zemeckis-y at times. Just the timing of that, where it's like, they're getting up to leave, and he's worried about the paperwork, and he says he's he's already done it, and the good work, Edwards, and then you really ran the guy off the foot. That's tough, kid. That's double tough. That all happens (laughs) in one shot as they're leaving. Yeah, the yeah. actors coming into the camera and then leaving. Yeah. Just like, the timing of people like driving on and leaving or coming through a doorway where you just glimpse them for a second and then they like timing mm-hmm. all that pop is delightful it. to me. Yeah. I think it's important to note also that uh that uh that's tough kid double tough is is a is a a big time secret quote for for old Zach here. Oh boy, um, yeah, that's my yeah. I there are a few things that have entered my vernacular <laughs> as strongly as that's that's tough. That's double tough. Uh, yeah. I use There's it for lot. everything. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of like subconscious secret quotes. We're just like and just read line readings that are embedded in my brain in this movie. Yeah. Like the joke that Tommy Lee Jones tells Will Smith at the Chinese <laughs> restaurant. Uh but, but we don't want to skip Jeebs. We don't want to skip Tony Shalhoub. No, yeah, no, yeah. We got to we got to talk about Jeebs. A Jeebs, a character who in my memory is in this movie 3 times. <laughs> but has one scene um kind that of the is, story of a lot of the characters in this movie where yeah. they leave such a mark but they're really only in like a handful of moments yeah everything's memorable in this movie every scene every moment every beat is is mm-hmm. memorable and that's yeah not even just on the work the actors are doing i think that's from a script level onward yeah it's it's so tight that these things stick in your brain mm-hmm. um jeeves's workshop was filmed in los angeles that makes sense and uh, and yeah, that uh, a, a moment that really stuck with me as a kid that I want to talk about is when Jeeves presses the button and all the guns show up. Yeah, the that was a big moment for Doug Harlocker, the prop master, when he realized that oh, they're going to be big shots where they're just going to see my work. Yeah, that's really cool, and that actually comes up a lot in this movie. It comes up a lot when they get into Men in Black headquarters, which mm-hmm. is Sonnenfeld honoring the work being done by the production design, the visual effects team and highlighting it in the movie, giving them hero shots, giving them yes. hero shots. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you remember Jeeves's workshop, your, your workshop his pawn shop. Yeah. Pawn and you shop. know what? You know what? I think that probably comes from the fact that Sonnenfeld's a cinematographer and knows about not feeling appreciated. Sure. You know, yeah. I, I think he knows that feeling um, mm-hmm. and knows like, Oh, the Coen's got all the credit for like a lot of my work, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so I wanted to become a director so that I wouldn't do that, you know? Yeah. I, and I'm not saying that that was like his modus operandi for everything. No, but, but like that, get being on that other side of it. Yes. You, you appreciate it the way if you're like some indie auteur kid. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's really cool. That's you guys remember like the Jeeves play movie. set. No. no. What? <laughs> I remember there being a play set of this set. Oh of a punch. Oh, yeah. a CD punch. I love that there's a toy out there somewhere. <laughs> Are there fake, fake Rolexes? With like a Tony Shalhoub. It's like a dirty New York pawn shop. <laughs> that's, a, that's what every kid wants. Amazing. Oh, I, I remember the head that right off. now. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I think an underappreciated aspect in, in this movie is the, uh, the makeup work done on normal people, quote unquote. Like, yeah. Sure. Shalhoub in that scene, it's very quick. I mean, he's just supposed to look like a normal guy, but they, you know, added, they, they popped out his ears with some prosthetics and they ma- messed up his face a little bit and they gave him a, a fake lazy eye and stuff. And it's like just yeah. enough as you see this guy for a second, you're like, what's going on with him? Like, he yeah. doesn't quite read as Tony Shalhoub, if you know Tony Shalhoub. Like, there's something the, off. For a long time, this Jeebs was Tony Shalhoub for me. Like, that's. That's, like, that's it. It's like yeah. Monk before. Yeah. yeah. Everything that he, I would Galaxy ever Quest. see him in, I'd be like, that's Jeebs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They highlight in the book how, how much they appreciated his willingness to like, quote, like look weird and look gross. Yeah. In yeah. this movie and really throw himself into the character. I, I love Jay's reaction to Kay shooting, uh, shooting Jeebs, oh, like yeah. shooting his head off. Like, his mm-hmm. instant reaction of just like drop the gun and put your hands there, like just immediately, like mm-hmm. I don't care if you're if you're another like officer or whatever, you just kill the guy. No, done. Like yeah, that's it, it. You know. Yeah. And I, I I love that sense of right and wrong that that James yeah. has. You know what's really point. cool about Jay in this movie is he never knows when he's being tested. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he's like without knowing it, he's passing every test that's being thrown at him. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is so uh, forthright and decent, even throughout Mm -hmm. all of the the crazy nonsense. And he's clever. And clever. It's a really underrated performance to look at if you're like creating like kind of I don't want to like a generic kind of protagonist hero. Sure. Mm -hmm. There's really nothing super memorable on paper about Jay or Will Smith's character. It's just the way that he is in this movie really endears you to him. Yeah, he's got he's got great moral compass. He's got. Uh, he's got a, a he's he's clever, right? He's good at problem solving, and he's also willing to look stupid if it gets the job done. Like it yes. doesn't matter that he looks stupid; he's gonna get the job done, right? And that that's paid off later with the table, you know, like mm-hmm. dragging the table over. Like he looks like an idiot, but he's the only one that's he- gonna turn in a test without a bunch of holes in it. You know, yeah, he's like, well, this is dumb. Why are we doing it all that? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. That great visually communicated idea where he's brought in on test day. And he's the only one not in any kind of uniform. Yep. 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 He's yep. just a yep. beat 90 N- NYPD beat cop. Well, that's something I noticed on this watch that I don't think I've ever realized before is that none of those people were actually trying out to be in the men in black. They were just extras in his test. <laughs> yeah. Like it was yeah. just for him. Like that's the only reason they were there. Yeah. It's not um, like when they, when, uh, Kay talks to Zed that they are seriously considering other candidates. They're just talking about Jay. Right. Like, right. Yeah. He's like, oh, come on. I don't know about it. He's got a problem with authority. He's like, yeah, but this kid, this kid. Yeah. He ran down a yeah. cephalopoid on foot. That's got to be enough. Yeah. Like, and the fact that all of this is taken care of and swept up and ready to go in like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's how good. long have we been talking about how little of the runtime? Like, it, it right? they right. pack in so much so efficiently. Mm-hmm. So and, and efficiently where, yeah, you don't feel like, wow, this movie's going a mile a minute. But then you realize you see how much ground they've covered. and You're like, wow, I, this movie's way shorter than I remember it being. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, it's so good. It's it's perfectly paced. Yeah. You're just in meeting the, the worm guys. Right. Just yes. Does so much work for us. Yeah. Well, I do. I have a question. Why? Please. Why do we like. <laughs> what what is the purpose of K neuralizing Jay that first time after after the Jeebs scene? 
Oh, after they go to get Chinese? Before they go to get Chinese. Because they, they. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, when he wait, when he stops out of it, they're already mm, at the restaurant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why, why do we think that that even happens in the context of like the, the story as a whole? What is the purpose of He's, that? He seems like he neuralizes <laughs> pretty <He's>, liberally. Like <laughs> on that trigger finger. <laughs> so you think it's like more of like a character beat for K of just like, yeah, this guy, this guy's fucked. Like, well, yeah. well, Jay kind of calls him out. He's like, dude. Stop neuralizing Dr. Weaver. How often do you do that? He's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> couple times. Give people... yeah, yeah, a couple times. Yeah. You're going to freaking see someone's brain out with that thing. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, if I get in a like fan theory, like Lori zone for it, like mm-hmm. it might be like, well, they need his like actual test in front of his superiors to be clean in a way where like he doesn't for sure know what's going on yet. Like he hasn't right. seen an alien before that point. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but... I just think it's funny. Do you guys want to yeah. learn? Do you guys want to know what happens when you fire a neuralizer? <laughs> sure. It uh, releases a burst of invisible electromagnetic like energy at your eye, at your retina, uh-huh. and it's so overwhelming that the brain shuts down to protect itself. Oh, momentarily, and it like causes short-term memory loss. And like oh. the amount of power that it puts out must correspond to how much it's erasing away in some way yeah because he, yeah. he has a little knobs on the top where you can days months years or whatever right yeah. yeah the thing that i like about the neuralizer um i would say even more than everything else i think my the neuralizer is my favorite gadget in the men in black at That's least so in this cool. first one yeah. um and the reason i think is because it it's so it it feels like a direct uh, uh, like generational descendant of all of like that cool '80s gadget stuff, like the mm. DeLorean and the 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 you know the backpacks and yeah. Ghostbusters. You know, it says a lot that back. as a kid, it felt aesthetically cool. Yes, you you wanted to push it down. It looked like a cool little pen. It yeah. felt designed and not homemade the way the '80s stuff all did. It was always like homemade and like just like a bunch of stuff you'd find around your house jammed together. It's like the opposite of a proton pack, right? Right. Right. So it's, right. It's, or like it's the, not a bro- the shrinking machine from totally yeah, the shrinking yeah. machine. Yes, one hundred percent. But like this feels like the the descendant of those, where it's like okay. Look, I'm going to show you exactly how it works. You're going to get how it works. It's very easy to understand. There's day, you know, day or hour or whatever on the back, those little knobs. You understand how it works. If I handed this to you, I could just say, this is how it works and you could use it. You know, I it's but it, it, it looks like a thing that was made in a factory, not somebody's, you know, garage. You know, right. Yeah. Because they've got just really the institutional funding that Doc Brown doesn't have. You right. Mm-hmm. Of, of course. Absolutely. Like, the first time I ever used eBay was I was pretty young. Uh, uh, I don't know, like maybe 11 or something was to get a replica neuralizer that I had tracked down. And I was like, you know, I really want that. And I heard about this cool thing called eBay. And it was like the first time my parents allowed me to like buy stuff on the Internet <laughs> on my own. And it was to get a neuralizer. And it was fine. Like it was the picture looked better than the actual object and it was a bit sure. too big when it came and I was like that thing is so cool that you can't cheaply make one so I, if right. I want a nice one and someday I will get a nice one like I knew at that moment when I was like 10 or 11 years old like okay this will be expensive one day if I want it to feel the right yeah. way in my hand yeah I remembered wanting the toy and then finally seeing it 
seeing one and being like, this is like twice the size of the one in the movie. It's too big. It's like a lightsaber hilt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had the same problem. Like, like when the prequels came out and they gave you the lightsaber, they, they made the, you know, the lightsabers that you could go <laughs> and it would extend like a, you know, like, an, like a fishing yeah. rod. It wouldn't go out. down all the way. Yeah, it wouldn't go down all the way. And the the... It was so big and chunky in the plastic. And, yeah, you, you know. want the cool little hilt that you and McGregor can like flip, spin around. Yeah, you want the small, the sleek ones. And that's mm-hmm. the same thing with the Neuralizer, where it is, it is sleek and efficient and cool the way that a lightsaber is. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I love the little Susie scene. Oh, why yeah. Did, why did little Susie <laughs> need little to die? Tiffany. Little Tiffany. Little Tiffany. Tiffany. Oh, little and, Tiffany. And it's like like you said, you when, when, when Agent J breaks down why he did it, you can see Rip Torn having to hide his, like, excitement. Yeah, like, like, oh, holy yeah. shit, this kid's got it. Yeah. yeah. He's not snarling. He's sneezing. Sneezing. Ain't a real threat there. Like, it's a pretty good shot, though, right? <laughs> and it is. Yeah. And, he, and that helps. He's a crack shot, like, later on. When he has to shoot the thing out of the sky. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 And it gives you, you know, it gives us, this is the kind of cocky, arrogant, where it's still like, like, it feels earned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a good shot. It was. He got it right between the eyes. So, so on Jay's first day on the job, right, we're getting, we're getting introduced. We're seeing this sort of like Ellis Island. Yes. And uh, actually, the, the concept of the terminal, you know, after this moment, you know, absolute dick. And it opens up. Right. Mm-hmm. It being a terminal Ellis Island, like you said, is mm-hmm. exactly the uh, the work of production designer Bo Welch. Okay. In the script, it was just like typewriters. Oh. Kind of what we see in Men in Black 3. Okay. Just like a generic office. Yeah. And Bo uh-huh. Welch. Uh, or, or John Wick, the John Wick. Version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the and what we see in Bo Welch's production design through storytelling, uh-huh. them feeding each other. And he's like, I have this idea of it being like Ellis Island, an airport terminal. People are coming and going. There's baggage check, but that's not in the script. I'm going to go to Barry and pitch it. Yeah. And we'll just see what he says. And it was instant. Like, yes, I get that. Let's do it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. Their cantina. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about it, because like, that's one of the most exciting things about, about riding the ride, the men in black ride um, at, at Universal Florida is that like, first of all, the entrance is the big, the giant fan with the dude at the, Sit, just sitting at the mm-hmm. at the folding chair, you know, you get on the elevator and like you're going through the hallways. And when you get to that part where the, the queue goes on either side of this, the Ellis Island room. OK, it is it, it with the, with 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 Bob and, you know, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, at the other end, like it's instantly like, oh, my God, it's men in black. Like it, you you don't realize, I think, how iconic it is. Mm-hmm. You know, until you start taking it out of context and looking at it and being like, oh, my God, yeah, that is so cool. And the fact that that wasn't even in the script, that that was just like the idea of an art direct. Like, that's that's so awesome. I love that. Yeah. Bo Welch, uh, he he did like Batman Returns, Edward Scissorhands, oh, The Birdcage. OK. Yeah. That's our guy right there. Yeah. He's a yeah. G. And there's a scene when they uh, where they're going through the technology and stuff. And they go through like the case, like we have the patents on some stuff. This thing's going to replace CDs. I don't have to buy the white album again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was another moment where uh, Bo Welch and Doug Harlocker is like, oh, my God, you mean he's going to throw a little ball and it's going to bounce around the set that I designed and the camera's going to pan all around it and it's going to hit all the guns that we made. That's think that's crazy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's it's a, it's one an example of the, a thought I had a few times watching this movie, which is like. 
I love that they took the time to do this thing where it's like the movie moves very quickly, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you stop and take stock of it. But it is willing to indulge in these moments that round out the world or our understanding of a character or appreciation of them in a way that does not feel rushed at all to where you're like, yeah, we're going to take this whole beat to do the the joke where they're sitting in these stupid egg chairs. And, the, you know, we're going to take this whole beat where we watch this thing bounce around for, for quote unquote, no reason. But the whole time it's either developing the character of Jay as in the earlier scene, or it's like fleshing out the reality of the world here in a believable way. Mm-hmm. We get a, an overview of the men in black offices by way of this ridiculous, <laughs> so hard to shoot, expensive thing right. with the basketball. visual gag. Yeah, and yeah. we reveal a little bit of character for, from Zed who who doesn't, who just like just barely like kind of <laughs> moves a little to the left, you know, to like get out of the way. Uh, and, but like never breaks in terms of like whatever he was working on. So we yeah. get a yeah. little bit of that. Guy's been around the block. Um, and then also the the other benefit on top of like the set design and the props and all that you're also revealing all of these like background extras who like <laughs> yeah. you know they're all they all get to be featured extras for a day and they probably yeah. still to this day are like oh i'm in men in black yeah. for like one second and it's right here but you you can't miss me and that's yeah. huge yeah. and yeah. as a kid playing pretend yeah it just made men in black that much easier of a world to fall into because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you can imagine all of these different people going around doing their jobs yep yeah, it's wild that that sequence with him showing him around a little bit and talking about all the stuff in that room and what they have their patents on and the ball bouncing around. That sequence takes more screen time than the suiting up sequence when he quote unquote becomes an agent, yeah, which it yeah. doesn't feel like that in your brain. But like they take the time to make the joke with like the universal translator and things like that. Like, Where am I supposed to have this human thought so primitive is looked upon as an infectious disease in some of the better parts of the galaxy. Kind of makes you proud, doesn't it? Like that <laughs> is a delightful moment in this whole little where we're just, we're taking the time, even though we're moving fast. And yeah. I don't know how you do that. It just seems like magic to me watching this movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's great. I I remember one thing, one aspect that's all, the last aspect I would say in this scene um, before we get into the suiting up thing. Please, um, I think is the the idea of all of the aliens hidden around the world. You get the, you get the the big view screen. You get to see a few, and like Sylvester Stallone's on there, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think uh, uh, George Lucas is on there. Um, and I just, I love those beats. One, I love the George Lucas because that almost feels like a Steven Spielberg troll of just like, ah, put my buddy George in there. He's like an alien. He'll, he'll love it. It'll be great. Uh, but then the choice of someone like Sylvester Stallone, who isn't like weird, really? Like right. you would think the more obvious one to me would be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like that would feel weirder, you mm. know? But like the idea of an alien coming to this planet and then being like, I'm going to make a boxing movie is just... I just love yeah. how stupid that is. The concept of a lot of famous people being aliens always has really been funny to me. Yeah. 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 It because sense. it's like you would think they would try to be like nondescript and live mm-hmm. in hiding. Mm-hmm. But I remember that being like a big aspect that people always talked about in this. Yeah. Like, like Dennis Rodman. Yeah. 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 I'm like, they, they went a little too hard, I think, on it in the sequel with like the Michael Jackson. It's kind of the story of the sequel. And stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's um but like you know, I I really I think it's I think it's it just tickles me. Here. It's a it's a fun it's a it's a really fun fold, and it also feels for some reason particularly like I don't know like late like mid nineties, yeah. Of yeah. like here's this like cavil like roll call of all these weird celebrities and like they're aliens, yeah. 
Yeah. I also appreciate in that scene that it it nails down that like, okay, MIB is very well funded because like they have these secret patents or whatever, but they're not associated with any governments because they don't think you can trust them, which that's mm-hmm. nice. Uh but that that it's not a huge huge operation in terms of like the number of people and the number of things that they're focusing on because there is the little graphic that pops up where they say there's about 1500 aliens on the planet at any given time most of them here in manhattan Mm -hmm. and like a that's funny because like weirdos in new york but also (laughs) the idea that like it's not as if this is a organization that like is in every corner of the globe with like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of employees or whatever, like tracking millions of people. It's we're meant to be like a little small hub for creatures without a planet. Uh, you know, the, that like in galactic terms, that's what earth is. And that's what we monitor the idea of like helping refugees from intergalactic wars. I just think that's such a, such a warm and fuzzy version of a secret organization rather mm-hmm. than like a, we got our mitts and everything type of thing. Like, no, yeah. we Velcro. We're just over here taking care of refugees. Don't worry about yeah. this. Yeah, you're right. It kind of it kind of keeps it from becoming like another kind of like shadowy organization. Yeah. There's yeah. benevolence to it, the and separateness. It, it goes back to the opening scene of like the way that he was dealing with the, you know, quote unquote illegal aliens, right? Mm-hmm. And and how he was like, Yeah, just get back on the van, everything's fine, and you know, whatever. Because he cares about people, everyone on Earth. He's not an he's not part of like an American organization. The men in black are beyond that, right? Yeah. He doesn't have any kind of bottom line to answer to. Right. His his focus is protecting human beings. And mm-hmm. that includes everyone. So he doesn't really give a shit about your border patrol. Like what even is border patrol? Like <laughs> yeah. you're everybody's on this planet. Like fuck fuck off, you know? Um and I and I love that. I love that about the, that organization, you know? Yeah, they're there's a humility to the men in black that makes them as an organization feel wise. Mm-hmm. 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 That's like, they're smart enough to know how like we are, we there, we we're human. We're, we're flies, right? We're, yeah. we just have to, we're Switzerland. Oh, and there, we, we went over the, the, the best line in the movie probably, which is person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's so good. And and that's exactly what he's saying is like, no, we care about persons, but like people you have to deal with in a certain way because it gets crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but but we but we we want to protect everybody. And, you know, and it's just it's it's yeah, you're totally right, Zach. Like it's just it adds this warm and fuzzy element to this government organization, which is what allows you to root for them when yeah. you you wouldn't under normal circumstances or at least not this quickly. You know, right, like we right. we have to be introduced to the existence of them and be on their side and like yeah. cheer for them within and this short like, movie. On this kind of the movie weird kind of quietly takes on the, like the one day on the job kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like like on the beat. And you know, thinking about the first the things that they are asked to do <laughs> is like very routine and like person to person based. Yeah. Like, hey, we yeah. have this guy who's not supposed to be in Manhattan. He's driving. <laughs> Let's make sure he's okay. Let's not yeah, just go like, check in on Reggie. Like, that's yeah, the, just go check that's in on Reggie. The task. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I love that. It, it, because it, it makes them. You know what it makes them feel like? It makes it feel like the whole planet is like Mulberry, or is that the name of the town? Mayberry. 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 It makes yeah. it makes the whole planet feel like Mayberry. 
where it's just yeah. like it's just like man, can you just go check on like you know mr wilkins and make sure that he's okay you know, yeah. yeah yeah of course <laughs> hey mr wilkins you you probably don't want to do this you know i did just uh, see where jay has to like give help give birth <laughs> yeah and he's like getting slammed into the car <laughs> while k is just like talking to reggie and then they get back in the car and he and k is like did any of that seem weird to you <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's 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 uh that that is uh like an animation technique the the exposition Position in the front party in the back mm-hmm. exposition yeah. technique and animation of like hey like kids don't want to watch exposition but they need exposition for a good story so do something fun in the background while the exposition is happening in the foreground and you get to have your cake and eat it mm-hmm. um and that's like uh that's like a fun technique and it's it's like perfectly exemplified in that moment i, I love that i love yeah. that sequence the, it did throw me for a loop this time watching it. I did not realize how prominent the uh, the World Trade Center is in that shot. Yeah. It's yeah. just there, man. I'm like, oh, wow, this was a different time. Wow. Yep. Like, Four yeah. years. Four years. Ooh, crazy. Uh, um, I want to I, I talk place. about the uh, the identification deleting. Which is just oh the finger burning yeah. just, well the finger burning but then like when 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 K just brings up his birth certificate his social security number your social security card and all these things up and just hits delete like he just <laughs> I don't know what app he's using he just he has to hit delete like he can't like take them and drag them to the trash can or anything like that he has to physically delete them <laughs> the way there's blanks yeah. Oh man, it's so great. And then they delete his name until there's only a J and then the J turns into like his new employee file. It's so, it's so silly. I love it so much. A brief note on the, the, the suits that the men in black are wearing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They were talking about what kind of suit they were going for this kind of retro sixties. And uh, what they ended up looking at were the suits that Cary Grant would have tailored for himself. Uh, Movie star Cary Grant. And the way those suits were, uh, were tailored where they had kind of a larger, a broader shoulder, yeah, but were a, were slimmer at the body, wow. And so that was the kind of uh, the outline that they took. And uh, the costume designer in in the book says you and technically you could credit Cary Grant as the suit designer for the Men in Black. Wow, that's Is that, amazing. That's uh that's like uh like a slim cut suit. Was that a thing before this? I Did wanna, this movie create the slim cut suit? When I Maybe. think of 90s suits. Like off the rack slim cut yeah. suit. There yeah. is actually, you know, Bo Welch in the book says he was like, there was like a 60s swing kind of like mod revival that was on its way. And he's like, I called it by like a year ahead with this movie. Yeah. Of like, yeah. I think this is where we're headed. Yeah. The same year was, was it 97 this Austin came, Powers? Oh, I think so. I think this was the same summer. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. Austin Powers. Yeah, I would just like if you looked up like what basketball players wore, what sort sort of suits they wore at the right. at the time. I think it was all big. Yeah, like, actually, if you even want to look at what Will Smith is wearing in the last scene of the movie, it's oh, a sure. lot more. Yeah. 90s, I have a lot to say about modern. that. Oh, for sure. When okay, we, we don't get, get there. ahead of ourselves, okay. um, <laughs> I want to. I want to talk about the Ray Bans. Sure. Which I remember as a kid thinking those are the coolest sunglasses I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I watch it and I'm like, those look like they're worth $5. <laughs> they look, they look really cheap. And it's just like, you know, it's just aesthetic changes in terms of like nineties versus 2021. But, um, it was, uh, it was, it was off putting watching him put mm-hmm. them on and be like, these are cool. And I'm like, you would buy those at a gas station for $5 now. Yeah, I think you can make a lot look better, actually. <laughs> What's the other kind? What's the kind that the Blues Brothers wear? Those are Wayfarers. Wayfarers? Okay. Yeah. 
Um, but but that's a that is a, a cut of Ray Ban. I okay. think they're Ray Ban Wayfarers. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. they own those as well. <laughs> but I hope they continue to talk about the evolution of the suits and the sequels in the book because I'd yeah. love to know more. Yeah, yeah, that'd absolutely. Be cool. Um, okay, so we've got ahead. we've got the squid birth. Uh, I I want to talk about the uh, the deli scene. Um, with uh, with sure. I mean, or Orion is an all time cat actor, right? I mean, oh, that's so great. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he's so good. He's big. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the picture you get of of gentle with Orion. Yes, or he's yes, looking oh. super big. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's a big old kitty. He just carries him around in that little suitcase, and he's such a good boy. Um, and 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 he loves his he loves his pop pop, and he knows his pop pop is a little man inside the big man. You know, as we learn later, like you know, he he recognizes him. He like gets visually sad when he dies. Um, and it's it's, uh, it's a great performance. Oh, I, I love the diner. I love love New York City in this movie. Yes. Oh God, yeah, yeah. It's all Hollywood, New York City. It's all like. Other than like wide establishing shots and stuff, it's like mostly backlots, I think. Um, and it just it gives it that nice Hollywood aesthetic that I just love so much. I love <laughs> yeah. a backlot. I love it. Yeah, um, it's delightful. Like, but yeah, I even love that. though the the bugs drop on it, it does make me want to eat pierogi. Like that scene. Yeah, is... <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be I don't think I've ever had fresh pierogi. I think I've only ever had like frozen pierogies. Yeah. From the grocery um, store. Also, all-time great cinematic cockroaches. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, huge. Those big old hissing cockroaches just, <laughs> just... We'll just drop them on stuff. Have them fall I, off of him all the time. I, I love that he just carries them around with him like he's like they're his friend. Like He <laughs> finds them and is just like, come on, buddy. Yeah, hey. yeah. I yeah. saved you. I've noticed an infestation. Yeah, I just... That's <laughs> so great. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, he did... The, he went ahead and... Uh, D'Onofrio, the first like week they were shooting, he he bought like knee braces that he tightened down real hard that he wore under his costume just to make sure his like range of motion was limited. And then yeah. he learned how that felt, and then he didn't need him anymore after that. Right. But like him oh, yeah. leaving the diner scene <laughs> is like one of the most impressive physical moments in the movie. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's so like visceral and weird and like the one guy says you're not going anywhere pal and the way d'onofrio grabs that stunt guy and throws him yeah it's incredible mm-hmm. he, he like he has to like because he's uneven the weight inside is uneven he's like letting himself fall into things catching himself shoving it out of the way and like catching himself going backwards you know it's like a lot of like strategizing how he's throwing his weight around because it should be uneven and weird yeah. you know it's it's so good yeah it just goes back to it all feels very uh uh motivated yeah 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 motivated and specific god it's so fun to watch him do this stuff <laughs> yeah i like i watched this movie we're recording this podcast about this movie and i kind of want to go watch it again that's how good this movie <laughs> yeah is. yeah is yeah. this is this is this the when they go back to Edgar's wife? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Beatrice. There's a lot of great. This probably has some of my favorite J and K bouncing off each other moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I going to get a memory wiping thingy when you're older? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't okay, suppose cool. you know. Yeah. <laughs> when you grow up, that's why. When you grow up. I don't suppose you know what kind of creature uh, leaves a green chemical trail and craves sugar water. And he's like, oh, that was on Final Jeopardy last night. (laughs) Alex said something. Yeah. (laughs) And this is when they have their first big, I really like their kind of philosophical difference uh, behind what 
your responsibility is when you neuralize someone. Is yes, yeah. Jay's, make it a happy memory. Yeah. Yeah, Jay has his empathy that we don't see with Kay, who's been on the job forever and ever. That's like, no, like we should leave her a little better than we found her. Yeah. It's almost like Kay recognizing that it's time to go because yeah, I should be taking better care of these people. Yeah. Like, when 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 he like watches like, you know, he's reluctant about it, but when he watches how much Jay is like no, 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 and he he didn't appreciate you anyway. And you're gonna, you know, get some nice dresses, get a decorator, come, like that. He cares so much about, yeah, because that didn't damn. happen. To you. <laughs> because t- <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and what's great about that is like his his reaction to it feels so genuine. And as the art director, the art, the, the like the set designer or whatever, they were probably like. Oh, like it's like it's in the story now that this is a weird place, right? And and but also like they did their job; they made the most hideous yeah. looking house <laughs> that oh, they could imagine. Oh weird. man, and it made Will Smith's performance better, like a suit, Egger. like an like an Egger suit. <laughs> yeah, and that, I also really like that scene because you realize that she is more she's more perceptive than you would maybe give her credit for. Yeah, is mm-hmm. she's closer to the mark than she even knows. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I like. That she is still totally like a Barry Sonnenfeld big character, but it doesn't feel like overly mean. Right. Or yeah. she isn't just like a dumb country person. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or how much of the, the horror of, of the Edgar bug gets sold by her reaction to what's happened to her. Or right. Her, her reaction faint? to him in the first scene with him. Pulling like, his the, face back. The way she's like shaking when she puts the sugar in the water, all that stuff. Like, yeah. Secret MVP. You're right, Scott. Secret MVP. <laughs> She's so she's, good. She's yeah. so good. <laughs> is this when they go to get the tabloids? The tabloids happened before Beatrice, yeah, right? right? Because that's yeah. how that's what leads her to, them to. An Beatrice. alien took my dad, my husband's skin. Right. Yeah. Right. So they go. They go to the morgue after this. Right. Um, right. Uh, so some few notes on the morgue. Uh, the walls are made of lino- limo- linoleum. Sure, it's a tough word. Love that word. They uh, <laughs> they purposely went for green because they wanted to look like alien scales. Oh. Oh. And uh, going okay. back to, we talked about this is a very slimy movie. There are parts of the wall that have embalming fluid and slime on it Ew. to give it kind of this glistening kind of goopiness to it. Just patches of the wall. Just Weird. the environment just... itself is wet, sticky and wet. Yeah. 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 And uh, this is also when they, uh, they note out the, the color blue is used very liberally, if at all, in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh but well, it said that uh, Barry, the blue tends to be pop more. Uh-huh. It tends to like divert the the eye, so they wanted to fo- keep your eyes focused on Will and Tommy. So blue isn't used a lot. Interesting. Uh, also, when if you go back to Men in Black headquarters, you only see black, white, and gray and silver. Mm. There's no other colors because they want the aliens to pop. Yeah, that makes that sense. Works. God, I love yeah. color theory in movies. <laughs> I really do. I love like, it. I'm colorblind, but I can I can grasp some of it, you know? Like yeah. I feel, oh yeah, this is what people experience. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, but it was... it's 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 cool because it's 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 usually about like like shades versus other shades. So like if somebody's wearing a red dress and you want the red dress to pop, you surround them with cool colors. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that it just like it's like a highlighter, you know? Yeah. And I, I I just love stuff like that. I think that's really cool. <sighs> I yeah. We're not introduced to uh, Fiorentino here because technically we saw her earlier when mm-hmm. you know she first got neuralized. But this is well, kind of her her big introduction, quote unquote. And mm-hmm. I just love—I mean, this is the dumbest note I have here, but I just love that the way she is introduced is she just says, oh, "I hate the living." 
and, <laughs> and that is a entire mood right there. Like I just, yeah. you know, I stand <laughs> forever. That is great. Yeah, she she's a great character in this. I she's I like how the movie lets her be peculiar and you can see that she's living her own interior life. Yeah, beyond she is the men of- horny on Maine, and she is weird as hell. Yeah, and she yeah. works in a morgue. Like, oh yeah, I, I love how she just calls. She said, "Tolls Will Smith that he has really pretty eyes," and then just drops it. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. I'm surprised. You know, in 1997, this character with this vibe, you would think would be played by Janine Garofalo. Wow. Yeah. Like it's it is weird that it's Linda Fiorentino and not and not Janine Garofalo. This was pre uh, this was pre uh, Mystery Men, right? And yeah, and yeah. Uh, actually adding credence to that, the fact that David Cross is later in the in the same morgue, <laughs> you right. know, it's just like it's all played by like those kinds of dudes, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's just like it's like all like Gen X comedians, right? Yeah. And like yeah. I, I would have thought, I you would think that it would have been Janine Garofalo. This is a very Gen X movie. It is. Oh, yeah. it is yeah. low key, low uh, key a Gen X there, movie. There's yeah. a part where they're heading to the morgue or leaving the morgue. Yeah, where Jay's like, I know what you're gonna do. You're gonna hit him with that Jack Webb look, and I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> Jack Webb. <laughs> That's that was like a throwback in the '90s. Like kids today, really. And there were moments in watching this movie where I did kind of feel like, Oh, this is some. This is like a passing of an age. This is. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. That's um, wild. I love the little alien dude. Is yeah. The, is the little alien dude the, supposed to be the same species as um, Kamel's character in International? Oh, no. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I just have a visceral reaction. I just remembered that that's a thing that exists. That exists. Oh, okay. I, th- I think that's what that no was. Okay. I think I was yeah. pulling a wand to Maximoff. Like, no, we don't talk about that. <laughs> no, I don't. No. <laughs> I mean, what uh, is what is cinema for if not for a tiny alien in a mechanical head that you empathize yeah. with as he uses his last dying breaths to try to prevent like global war? Like, absolutely, Zach. And there are actually two puppets. Yes, uh, one is uh, three inches tall, and it is the kind that it, it, that's the puppet that you see Linda Florentino and Will Smith reacting to in like uh, the wide shot. Yeah, in the in the wide shot, and they built another one that was twelve feet scale oh and they shot that at ilm for the close-ups they said this took months of work for only a few seconds of screen time so but it's incredible if you see the interior of his pod as the little puppet's dying that's the 12 foot version that they would shoot at ilm and all of the little notches and 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 designs on the interior of his pod there's two of those yeah that are just as detailed um and they reference uh the ilm puppeteer I have his name right here. Uh, Mark Cetricane uh, operated the puppet and also provided his uh, his voice. Oh, my God. It's so good. I mean, the amount of expression that's in that that puppet, like, that's magic to me. Mm -hmm. They sculpted that guy. They built him. They, you know, had to learn how to use the puppet, how to move him well. And then they were able to give a performance Mm -hmm. that, like, that, like, it still makes me sad every time. Yeah. That's magic. How yeah. does it happen? I really love, I, I really appreciate that the movie knows when to let this be a beautiful, sad, quiet moment. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a movie that is so zippy and fast and wastes no time that it is like, no, look, this is, this creature is dying mm-hmm. and we're going to earnestly play this. And you remember it as a little kid that this is sad, even yeah. if you don't really understand the politics going right. on. Right. 
Yeah. Um, for the record, I looked up Kumail Nanjiani's little alien dude from uh, MIB International, and it is not the same species. He's not just killing. another uh, little I have alien a, dude. No, never mind. Uh, <laughs> I had a theory when I was watching that movie for the first time that uh, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth have no idea that that's a character that exists, and he's entirely made in post, and no one ever reacts to it. <laughs> and we'll see if that's true. Oh, we'll boy. See. Um, the... Uh, I, I just I love that detail because it reminds me of like the scale stuff they did in, in Lord of the Rings, like making the hobbits yes. work, and, mm-hmm. like building two sets at different scales of of um, bag ends so they can have, you know, Gandalf walk through one and Frodo walk through another. Um, and that reminded me of a, a, a thing that I heard in that um, interview with Vincent D'Onofrio, where he said uh, the the makeup effects that he had, the, how they had several different suits and the costume that he wore. um they have the different stages of decay. And he's like, they made a bunch of them and like so many different people own one. Peter Jackson has <laughs> one. He just threw wow. that out there as a thing. And I was like, yeah, there is a, you know, you made the Frighteners connection earlier, Scott. Like there is a certain, you know, vibe to this that feels like it hits that same spot for me of, as the Lord of the Rings in terms of igniting my love for movie making, the tactile nature of movie making. Oh, yeah. And no, it's, I mean, it's all there in the puppet. That's it. That's the whole thing. So much of this movie you remember because of, like you say, you remember the alien, you remember Mikey, you remember the noisy cricket, uh, the neuralizer, because there's just a craftsmanship to it. There's a care to it that I think even young moviegoers at the time were able to really attach to. And, you know, like the designers would say that decades later, people would say like that, your movie made me want to do this or go into this field or like. I made my own gun or I made my own noisy cricket and it, mm-hmm. it makes them feel so validated as, as artists to make something that is so memorable these years later. Mm-hmm. The noisy yeah, cricket is cool. Ed Solomon is cool. Idea. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's cool. And I like, <laughs> I, I, I like how, how, when, when he hands him the noisy cricket, you know, and, and he's like, what? And, he, and Kay just like, whoa, man. And, <laughs> and you get the, you get the vibe that like Jay is just like, man, everybody's trying to baby me. Like, I'm not a baby, right. you know? And, and meanwhile, like, no, he was being completely earnest. That thing is dangerous. Yeah. That's another yeah. great uh, Will Smith physical performance. Every time he gets, like, shot back with the noisy cricket. Yes. Like, so yeah. funny. Yeah. Like, there's no... We almost never see the actual effect, like, coming out of the barrel of the noisy cricket when it fires. Mm-hmm. What we see is the effect it has on on Jay. And that's delightful to me, like, in terms of this film aging well, that, like... No glowy After Effects plugin in VFX is ever going to sell the power of an energy weapon as much as launching Will Smith butt first <laughs> into a car windshield. You know, like yeah. right. they were willing to do the harder thing, and it yeah. and it lasts. Yeah, that just mm-hmm. he almost folds in half, flying backwards. I mean, he <laughs> shoots it. It's so funny. It's so dumb. So all of this, all of this public shooting, and and Jay learning that like. You, you the only way that this any of this works yeah. is it is that none of these people yeah. know that it's happening there's always a threat there's always something around the corner right mm-hmm. um and and this leads them to interrogating frank the pug who <laughs> one of the most viscerally funny i'm fairly <laughs> certain is the reason why to this day pugs are my favorite dog i think it's because <laughs> of frank the pug <laughs> The the joke of Tommy Lee Jones vigorously shaking this animal, and turning it turning around, it, it's like the, <laughs> like the he's voice actor, car, yeah. the voice actor making like the, and then just like the wide shots of New Yorkers just like 
watching him just like wrestle with this poor dog. And Jay is just like trying to calm down people, reassure people. He's like, they're they're practicing for a ventriloquist act. It's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, Frank oh. the Pug. Uh, can't, I think his name is Tim Bailey. I'm probably saying his name wrong, but yeah, is that he the is the dog's name or the voice. The voice actor. <laughs> <laughs> what a great name for a dog. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, also the voice of Johnny Five in the Short Circuit movies. Oh, wow. Oh, I can hear that now that you say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can hear that. And Frank is another example of he is in like three minutes of screen time. He's perfect. He he He's filling his role of he's like an informant, but he's getting out of town because the heat's getting up. Yeah. And he's just a person. He's just a living thing trying to live a normal life in New York. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> No, it's great. I love that. It's... Like, just the introduction of Frank when he's like, uh, he's next to that very skinny, pale man in mm-hmm. there. Looks like a uh, dude from Rocky Horror. Yeah, mm-hmm. he does. And he's just like, oh, that's the worst disguise. Yeah, that guy's definitely an alien. And then the dog is the one that speaks. Perfect. It's just yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And Frank yeah. the Pug imparts some uh, wise wisdom, which is like humans are obsessed with size. Just because something is very small doesn't mean it can't be important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Will Smith, Edwards being a s- smart detective smart guy uh sees a cat makes the connection oh my god what if it was that cat that i saw earlier at the morgue yep so good and then we're like full full sprint into the finale basically yep after that moment yeah yeah we go into the world the world's fair because they go there to get the cat mm-hmm. and then and then that's when uh vince d'onofrio gets the gets the galaxy on orion's belt uh, we never just, see the cat again which if i just <laughs> might say uh the necklace orion's belt if you will was designed yeah. by heidi nashir fink uh, who is a Hollywood a jeweler for movies that uh, oh, wow. met Doug Harlocker oh. has gone on to create props for such movies as Oceans 11, 12, hey. and 13. And oh, wow. Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman. Oh, oh. that makes sense. The Good design of Thanks, of it feels like a, like a Wonder Woman prop. It does. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the sword and the, the bracelets and yeah. all of that. It's yeah. another very memorable prop. I rem- You remember Orion's necklace and like yeah. the, the ball. Yeah. Because you think, why would anyone give a cat something that huge on their necklace? That would be so annoying. <laughs> you see yeah. the cat like droop down. Yeah. He was a big boy, though. Um, yeah. One of the few times they really lean into blue in that movie is seeing it reflected in her eyes when she yeah. notices it. Yeah. yeah. Very true. Yeah. 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 Oh, and uh, while we're talking, uh, Linda Florentino, Fiorentino did all of her own Edgar Bug stunts. Oh, nice. Wow. Nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah, so then he she gets uh she gets taken by uh by Egger in the in the the bug in the Egger suit. I love that it's just because he needs a snack. Yep. <laughs> yes. She isn't like the key to anything. Well, he has to she she drives him to the World's Fair first. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um and then, and then he keeps and then her because like, he needs a snack. Right, right. But yeah, but is he, I like is fine with letting her go. I, I think that's why it doesn't feel as bad as like a boilerplate damseling of the only prominent female character, because it's like mm-hmm. It's not. I'm gonna lure your man here. Or I'm keeping. Or I'm kidnapping you for. It's. He's just hungry. And yeah. then when she like kicks away, he just disregards her. And because yeah. he disregarded her, he gets vaporized. Like. Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't think about. Yeah. Yeah. It all feels good to me. Uh, I really like. Hey, old guys. Do those still work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like classic blockbuster. Yeah. I love the setup of the World's Fair because I love that there's two ships and they use both. They get to use both of them. Like yeah. in the in the plot, like it, you know, mm-hmm. he's gonna escape in one. They're gonna shoot that down, and then he's gonna go for the second one. Um, I I love that he has two chances. At this. <laughs> Keep him uh, on this planet. 
so something that we've brought up a few times that I think comes to manifest in this scene, uh, and this scene being like the 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 Queen's Tunnel. Scene. Oh yeah, the red oh, button. Yes, uh, yeah. push the red button. So what that is? That's a very complicated shot. So what that is is they made a scale replica of the tunnel. It was uh, an eighth size. Oh my god! Wow. Wow. This thing was ninety feet long. Oh my god! Uh, wow. Replicated down to the graffiti. And so what you have in that shot is a combination, sometimes in the same shot, a switch between really sophisticated model work. There was a car, there were model taxis, the the car, the men in black car was a model, but then actually, but then also would switch back and forth between CG shots. And so what the filmmakers found, and they use this throughout the movie, is if you change, if you disorient the viewer between practical and digital and like mix it up, that it it the the viewer is less likely to catch on and mm-hmm. you fall into the illusion more easily. Yeah. It's like but that's what thing, you're looking at. That's yeah. really cool. That's it's so like anything cool. Penn and Teller talk about sometimes with magic is the idea that like if you keep changing the method you're doing, like yeah. people will buy it. like everybody knows magic's fake. It, the person wants to believe it. But if you show them something and then the second time you do it, you do it a different way, and then the third time you do it, you're doing it another different way. The the buy in that happens stacks exponentially. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what's happening on screen there. Like, and it's an exhilarating scene. I remember as a kid just being so hyped. Because oh, like, I think about that every time I'm in a tunnel ever. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. I was did not die. I just went home. Also, I just love as a as a PSA in the movie. <laughs> Of just being like, just wear your damn seatbelts, people. <laughs> like, I just, I love that. Like, yeah, I, I, I love that, like, Jay's too cool for seatbelts, and it bites him in the ass over and over again. And Kay gets to rock out to Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> With his hair going back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> it took four months to build that that uh, replica of the Queen's oh, Tunnel. Wow. Man. And, and they kind of, you know, they kind of say that again and again throughout the book. is like, I don't know if we would have been given this time if we were making that movie now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's un- it, it, we'll get to it in the finale. But a lot of this movie, a lot of this movie is the story of the practical world kind of having to give way to this new digital world that's coming. Yeah, and yeah. can do things that practical effects can't sometimes. Right. <sighs> um, setting up how, I mean, this sounds bad. Because, <laughs> this sounds bad, but like setting up how sensitive the bug is to the death of other bugs. Right. Which which. Granted, he should, be. but you I mean, that I would be sensitive been... if people were constantly killing humans around me. Like all great villains, you can right. see where he's coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, like, so, like, setting that up the whole movie of like how sensitive he is to that, um, and then having it pay off here. Which, by the way, you know, we get that one last great performance from Vincent D'Onofrio before before he leaves the mm-hmm. film forever with the. Oh, I put it back here, like that whole like <laughs> yeah. thing. Oh, with the, yeah, yeah, and oh, then oh, rips hands. the suit off. And I always think the bug is going to look bad, and I'm always pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. that he does not at all, and he actually looks awesome. So it looks so much good. personality. I have a I have a yeah. story about this. Is kind of my last major story about uh, production, but it, it involves the Edgar bug. Okay, Bring it so on. um, in Ed Solomon's original script, uh. The finale of the movie was described by Solomon as much more, quote, philosophical sci-fi, where Will Smith was going to have a debate about the nature of humanity with the Edgar bug, about whether or not mankind was worth living, the, and then, like, the nature of life and stuff. And Walter Parks is like, look, 
when I bought this thing, I liked the big guns, <laughs> the suits, and the sunglasses. I don't think the audience is going to want a big, heady, philosophical conversation. So they had been, Rick Baker had been making this beautiful, gorgeous, 12-foot Edgar Bug animatronic that moved and talked and was physical and it was like the torso and the head and there's a picture of it in the book and it looks gorgeous. Oh my God, I can't wait to see this picture. Um, they, were, they were getting ready to film the finale the next week. It's the weekend. Uh, Parks and McDonald and Sonnenfeld, because Sonnenfeld agreed with Parks. He was like, this just doesn't feel like the ending that audiences want. It doesn't feel like this is where we've been ratcheting up. It's, this is, you know, 4th of July. We want to we see the big guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Speaking of big guns, they call up Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and they're like, Steven, we know you love this. You know, you're producing this movie. We're having this. We don't think the ending's working. You're, you're producing this movie. <laughs> can, you, can you come up with anything? And Spielberg was like, well, what if he was really sensitive about bugs? Like, what if where we see that he's really sensitive about bugs? What if he like kicks a Coke machine and a bunch of bugs come out and he starts like stomping on him and it makes Edgar mad? And then they that started working through the idea of Will having to like distract him and get him to like no he doesn't want him to get on the ship and he's kicking Will and throwing him and all of this stuff and they're so hyped about it they're like this is it that puppet can't do any of that oh no oh. we're now asking the Edgar Bug to pick up people and throw them and climb up a silo and they talked about it and they were like this is the ending we we can't the we, we we need to build a digital effect so they have to go to wick baker and say uh we're not going to use this at all oh uh, it's yeah and and rick baker being a pro understood but it was this really somber they were hyped about coming up with a really exciting ending but when they came to the realization that like this puppet can't do what we're asking the character to do it felt like this moment of like yeah the future of yeah. visual effects did like he landscaping uh, shift. did did mm. they use his puppet as a basis for uh so the puppet is much more so uh carlos Juantes, the designer of mikey also designed the edgar bug and it's uh god there's a weird bug that he saw out in la in the desert <laughs> called like a bridegroom or a wedge groom or some kind of weird bug i'd never heard of okay cool. uh but so so when uh spielberg came up with the cockroach idea they went back in and made him more roach-like in the final digital form. Oh. So in the picture that we saw, it's kind of more like a cicada, like kind of a generic beetle kind of dude. And so to make him more roach, the, the amount of make the, him, it mean more to see the roach getting smashed, they made him more roach-like in this okay. final form. Got All right. Yeah. But yeah, um, there's a big, sexy Rick Baker animatronic that just never saw the light of day. Yeah. That's well, wild. You're definitely going to have to show me this picture after we're done recording. <laughs> it's like, um, have you ever seen the... Uh, the original werewolf designs he did for cursed no no that's so cool like spoilers for cursed i guess but uh the character (laughs) who is the werewolf in that movie Mm -hmm. you can see the the resemblance in the actual one that he sculpted and made for that it's a beautiful interesting take on a, a wolf creature that i haven't seen anything like it in another movie wow and it looks so so cool and unsettling and sl- more, much more human, but also like elongated and elegant in these like artsy ways. And it's like so sad that they just turned it into a more of a generic bear like animal. Yeah. 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 Um, 
in general, I think that's why Rick Baker ultimately retired is because I think more and more his stuff was starting to get cut out of movies. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. and I think I think, you know, ultimately he was like, why am I even doing this? They don't even want this stuff anymore. You know? Right, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he hasn't stopped. Like, if you follow him on Instagram, oh, he's like a great it, follow on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, my God. He does. <laughs> he does new makeup like every every other week or something like that. Um, He puts himself in a new makeup and it's it's awesome. Um, But yeah, I, I love I love K getting eaten and shooting his way out of Edgar um, out of the yeah. Edgar bug. I think that's really cool. Um, And then. Uh, he decides that he's, uh, he's ready to retire. Um, and that, you know, I wasn't training, uh, my new partner. I was training my replacement, which personally I call, I call BS on because it's like, (laughs) it's like, well, I mean, you were missing a partner. I mean, that's, that's I don't know. The, The fact that we have, we, we have L showing up soon, um, is, is, uh, a coincidence. Like you didn't plan for L to show up. Right. To be, you know, uh, Jay's new partner. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little silly. I have also always thought it was a little silly that they repeat the the dialogue from the beginning at the end yeah, when Will Smith like has that. oh I, oh I, I love it I love it I love yeah. it. Don't get me wrong, but like it oh. doesn't it doesn't. You know, oh, when I when I watched it last night, I kind of I read it as like he's making sure he's setting up Will. Is he cold enough? To give the answer that I did. Oh, oh. interesting. Okay. Because clearly he and D have been in it from the beginning. So when they talk about looking at the stars anymore, that's a shared experience they're, they're touching in on mm, at the beginning. Yeah. When, when uh, K does it at the end, he's known, you know, Jay for a couple days, basically. Right. Right. So, right. Right. One thing I appreciated watching it for this podcast that I don't think I ever noticed before is that the whole movie, Jay, is sort of like, when do I get to neuralize someone? And like the first time he neuralizes someone, it's K. Yep. It's oh, yep. It's a movie. They and he it. says, <laughs> he says, when you grow up, he grew up. Yeah. So oh. now he's gonna neuralize because that was the thing. He's training his replacement, not his partner. So when you grow up and you become the K, you're the K yeah, now, you're, dog. Yeah, you're the K now, dog. <laughs> you're the K now, dog. Uh, uh, then you get to neuralize me, and I'll be your first one. You know, and that's. Oh. And I, it, it's always such a heart swelling moment. The callback to the tabloids, mm-hmm. where you see mm-hmm. everything get wrapped up in a nice little bow, and then yeah. boom, when man wakes up after thirty five year coma. Right, right. It's just warm enough. It's yep. just you know, yep. yeah. It's and it's set up really sweet. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With his, uh, you know, the the better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all moment earlier on. Again, right. one of those things where it's like, just a, try a it. quiet, try it. Yeah, like. A little quiet moment in the midst of that stuff that makes you think the movie isn't barreling ahead at Mach 10 or whatever, right. um, but then pays off in such a delightful way at the end. Yeah. And it feels like I, a hug. It really does. And I've always really loved Jay and Elle's uh, chemistry in these final seconds of the movie. Hmm. And it's always biffed me that she didn't come back for two. Yep. Um, or we'll, like, we'll talk I'm about furious it. Or now. in the animated series even, which yeah. hopefully we'll talk about Patreon. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we get an end on a Dennis Rodman joke, which is pretty effing 90s. And I <laughs> I lied. I do have one last story. Um, okay. Barry Sonnenfeld came up to Will Smith while they were shooting the movie, and he was like, I think it would be a really cool idea if you made a theme song for the movie and you rapped over like the plot. And Will Smith was like, I'll think about it. And then he didn't, talk, he didn't talk about it or mention it or say that he was working on it for like weeks. One day, Parks and McDonald and Sonnenfeld are walking through the parking lot. They're going home. 
a black limo drives up. Windows roll down. It's Will Smith. He says, get in. I want to play you something. <laughs> oh, my God. And he just plays them the song. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> and they're like, oh, man. It was, uh, it was his first uh, solo rap single uh, without, oh, yeah. D- without DJ Jazzy Jeff. Mm. And would go on to win a Grammy for best solo rap performance. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think it's worth pointing out that Barry Sonnenfeld, the same man who gave us whoop, the Adams family, there it is. <laughs> That's, look, Will. <laughs> so. I got an idea. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, good guys dressed in black. Remember that. Yeah. Oh, man. Dude, um, man. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a fantastic film. It's a fantastic film. Uh, I cannot say the same about the sequels, but I am excited to talk about them regardless. Really great yeah, Danny Elfman interesting score. Interesting combos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing, amazing Danny Elfman score. Underrated. <sighs> very, very underrated. A lot of his 90s scores are pretty underrated, though, especially late 90s, late to mid 90s. Because mm-hmm. um, I think uh, Mars Attacks, super underrated score. Oh, also, hell yeah. From a year so before good. this. Um, so, yeah, I think this movie is very quietly a very influential movie on people of our generation. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I think is, I, I, you know, it's, it's what, it's what I'm hoping to myself. Every time I go to see a big summer movie, mm-hmm. I'm quietly hoping for something this smart, this exciting, mm-hmm. this fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. It's, it's great. Like I remember, like I just sort of casually mentioned, cause I watched it last night uh, to prep for the podcast. I casually mentioned it in a group chat that I was watching men in black and, Oh man, I love this movie. And today, because we're recording this on a weekend, so like not a lot of people are at work right now, three other people in that group chat messaged me to say, I decided to watch Men in Black because you mentioned it. That movie whips ass. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping people enjoyed listening to this and, and learned a lot about how this movie came to be. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, and I'm really excited to start getting into like, the crazy behind the scenes stories that I just, I just know from reading like articles and things <laughs> about the sequels um, yeah. that I'm sure that, that Nick is going to get uh, nice and deep into that. I'm, I'm really, yeah. I'm really pumped to hear more about Zach. It's been great having you on the show. Yeah. Oh, happy to be here, man. Uh, thanks clearly. For, I love this. this yeah. Is, yeah. Thanks, yeah. For, <laughs> thanks for joining us on our, our maiden voyage on this, uh, this, this endeavor. Happy to um, help. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, guys, check out the Patreon. Yeah, um, you know, it's uh, duelinggenre.com slash support. Um, We're trying to get to 100 Patreon followers mm-hmm. to unlock a bonus show. Mm-hmm. And that bonus show might be franchiseography related. Right. Uh, one of the things that I would like to do is, you know, we wanted to talk about the animated series of Men in Black a little bit. Um, I think we'll be past Men in Black era before we hit 100 patrons. <laughs> but our next miniseries, Scream, I really want to, speaking of, I really want to talk about Cursed because I think Cursed is a yes. really important chapter in the Scream franchise story, the history. Um, and, and so, like, I really want to talk about Cursed, but the only way we're going to be talking about Cursed is, uh, is if uh, you guys, yeah, if we, if we cross 100 people on our, uh, on our Patreon. So, um, yeah, and we want to do that with like every every mini series. Do like little little extras um, here and there, uh, or you know. extras when we cover the X Men. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we'd be looking for like little little thematic uh, bonus things, things uh, related or tangentially related to the to the mini series that we're covering, the franchise we're covering. So that's duelinggenre.com slash support. Plus, 
Um, at the $5 level, you unlock Dueling Genre Versus, where uh, I think right now we are covering Batman the Animated Series an episode at a time. We just um, covered the entire first season of Buffy, hosted yep. by Cass Fredrickson. Right. And the new the new uh, Versus is hosted by um, Adam, uh, but but from Tales from the Short Box. But Nick and I uh, uh, do guest on, on both of those Versus seasons. Um, and then I host a little show called Dueling Genre Tonight. Every week where uh, I talk about the latest in pop culture news with a revolving um, panel of guests. And those are mm-hmm. both Patreon exclusive shows. Yep, exactly. So if uh, that sounds like something you'd be interested in, check it out. DuelingGenre.com slash support. And uh, we'll t- catch you guys next week with Men in Black 2. Bye. 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 Bye.